Take your Bibles this morning, go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we are, um, we, we, we've got three more messages in Galatians. So we got this morning, next week, and the week after that, and then it's Easter, which is crazy that it's already Easter. Um, these cards are amazing and, and are going to be very helpful for you, so I would encourage each of you to take one of these cards. It's got the, the logo of our Easter weekend services on there, and in the back it just kind of puts the service times and whatnot on there. Let me encourage you each to take at least one and to give it to somebody, and no, it doesn't count. Two things don't count. You can't give it to somebody who's already coming to Uniontown. That's cheating. <laughs> Here, Pastor Mark, we'd love to have you join us. <laughs> That's not fair. The other thing that's cheating is to take one of these and to leave it someplace strategic even. Like this week I was invited to a church's services at the gas pump because it was wedged inside of the gas pump. Eh, 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 eh. No, no, no. These are for you to walk into work and look at the guy who shares a cubicle with you and be like, bro, listen, everybody goes to church on Easter and if you don't, you should. Why don't you come join us? And that morning we'll take the opportunity to, to talk about not just the, the pa- certainly not just the pageantry of Easter, but we're going to talk about why Easter means so much. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so this morning, um, it's interesting. I was praying as we were singing this morning, and... Um, and, and I think what was um, impacting my heart the most as we sang together, first of all, was to hear you sing. I love that. I love that. I love the fact that you were willing to sing joyful songs even though it smelled like this. Just to share a quick brief encouragement for you, I thought when I pulled in this morning, I'm like, okay, Lord, I thought I was starting to fit into Carroll County, but this is rough. <laughs> and then to hear you all come in and be like, whoa, it's awful today. It's like, praise Jesus. I might actually be here. Um, so. so there's nothing better than hearing you sing with joy and enthusiasm. There's nothing better, and this is, this is very surface, and I know that, and I'll admit that. There's nothing more fun, fun than watching the people of God worship their God. And, and just for the record, anybody who sits on this side gets to enjoy it. But I want to let you know something that you're missing. Because when we worship God, other people notice, and in particular, there's a little munchkin who notices, and she can dance and clap, and this morning she went varsity level worship, and the hands went up with us. So it was like, that's so cool. So, so just think about this. Okay, now listen, we don't want little minions running around, but like, song starts, amen. Oh, <laughs> That was, a, that was an Adele song? I'm sorry, I put my hand up. But people notice, and I notice when the people of God are filled with joy and enthusiasm. And what the, kind of the, the, the picture of our series has been is we have a joy and enthusiasm because of who Jesus Christ is. We have a joy and an enthusiasm. I heard it put this way this week, and it's like, man, I wish I'd have heard this two months ago. We have a joy and an enthusiasm because as we read the word of God, as we look at the commands that God has given us, we are no longer hearing the cadence as marching orders. One, two, three, four. One, two, 
three, four. See, we can hear that as our little legalistic hearts want to hear that. And as the Judaizers who came to the churches of Galatia were trying to get them to hear it, they were hearing the cadence as marching orders. But what we need to celebrate is we've been set free from marching. And now we hear that same cadence as dancing. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. It's the same cadence, but it means something completely different, doesn't it? So originally the law was our marching orders. You better get in line or it's coming for you. And so just like soldiers marching in line, you would keep eye on the ones next to you to make sure you didn't step out of line so that way you weren't called out for it. And unfortunately, many of us in our attempt to be religious, that's where we ended up. But the book of Galatians has been all about turning that into this dance. This this beautiful dance where now the law of God is no longer bitter to our souls because it convicts us and tells us of how, how broken we are, but the law of God becomes like honey. And it's sweet to the taste because the God who loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me would tell me that this is what I need to do, then I will gladly do that. So my identity is not in anything or anyone else. My identity is found in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect, innocent Lamb of God who was slain before the very foundation of the world, came and lived a perfect life that I could have never lived so that he would die in my place on the cross, that his righteousness and perfection would be given to me. So now my identity is this, justified through the work of Jesus Christ. And even more precious than that, We are not only justified, we are adopted by the Most High God. That's freedom. That's freedom. You want to be able to breathe, you breathe and realize that the judge hasn't showed up to take you fishing. Your daddy did. Your judge isn't watching over your shoulder. Your daddy's walking hand in hand with you. So our identity comes down to the fact that we are justified and adopted, and so in that there is such an incredible amount of freedom, and we have celebrated that freedom and made much of that freedom through the book of Galatians, and now Paul says, now, let's make sure we understand what this freedom looks like, because I have a sneaking suspicion that many people in the churches of Galatia, and probably a handful within this very room, are hearing the word freedom and hearing, woohoo, I get to do whatever I want. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we touched on the fact that Paul said, no, you haven't been set free for yourself. You've been set free to serve other people. Galatians 6, he gets intentional. He gets serious about it. And he says, your identity, being the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ, means you are now free from watching out for yourself. You're now free from selfishness and conceit. So you can use your freedom to watch for others, to care for others, to serve for others in hard times. You're, you're freed from having to compete against others, and now you can serve them. How might we serve them? Let's start reading in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6. I'll read the first five verses. He says this, Brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. I'm going to stop there and just do verse 1 to start and see how long I have left to do the rest of the verses. 
The, 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 the reality is what Paul is saying is, brothers and sisters in Christ, you Galatians who have experienced the freedom that comes through the justification of Jesus Christ and the adoption of the Father, you are now free to do the work of restoring other people. And, and let me, sorry, this is a complete aside. I'm sorry, I didn't have time to do a PowerPoint this week. Some of you take better notes. It cracks me up when some of you post your notes online. I tell my wife every week, I'm like, I didn't say that. I don't know who that was. That was better than what I said. I should take that. So take notes, keep track. It's not too difficult. I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'll tell you, and then I'll tell you what I told you. How's that? All right, this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that we've been freed to do the work of restoring other people, and we've been free to bear the burdens of others. Okay, that's where we're going. You can check out now and tell your wife on the way home, hey, I got the outline. So we are free to do the work of restoring other people. Verse one says that. He says, if somebody is caught in a sin, let me talk about the word caught. I've wrestled with that word caught because that word actually can mean be surprised or, or to be caught in the act. But when you understand the context of what Paul is saying here, then you, you dig into where that word is used elsewhere. I believe that that word caught actually means if you find a brother or sister in Christ who is surprised or overtaken in their sin, Kind of, kind of the picture is this, they're drowning in their sin. I mean, nobody who is drowning expected to drown. I mean, they may have made some stupid choices along the way that have put them in that position where now they're in trouble. But, but the, the, the final culmination of it, they didn't expect that, that end result. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, your brothers and sisters in Christ can fall into gross sin. And we talked about it last week. Why is that true? Because the battle continues to rage inside of us. So as we walk from the flesh to the spirit, as we walk from those being controlled by the flesh and then yielding day by day and moment by moment to the Holy Spirit and in our lives being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ till that one day where we finally see him face to face in glory and no longer wrestle with the flesh. Remember, you're gonna wrestle with the flesh till that day that you're pushing up daisies. In that process, as you work through that process, as you're being molded and shaped, and, and, and what's going to happen is, I, I, bad news, here you go, you're going to screw it up. You're going to fall. And what Paul says is, when you find a brother or sister who has fallen, then what I want you to do is this, restore that person. Now, in this text, there is absolutely no description of what the rest, restoring process looks like. There's a full description of what the person who is restoring should look like and how they should act, but there's no definition of what that restoring process looks like. Now, just from other scripture, let me paint a picture for you so you may be able to, to wrap your head around. What does it look like to restore a brother who has been caught in their sin? The idea is this, you are, you, you are um, calling them to repentance, you're calling them. That word restore means a number of different things. It's used in all kinds of literature, and it talks about the setting of a bone. It talks about the, the mending of the fishing nets. They would go fishing. They would come back. The nets would be torn up. The men would sit on the dock, and they would weave the net, so it would be the mending of the nets, getting them ready to go back into action. It would be rebuilding a wall, making sure the wall was rebuilt for the, to, to be able to accomplish the purpose for which it was, it was first created. And that's the picture. When we are seeking to see somebody restored, we're seeking to see them brought from their sin back to the place where they're able to accomplish what it is they were called to accomplish originally. You're calling somebody to repentance. It's the picture of the prodigal son. That's restoration. 
Restoration is the prodigal son sitting, after taking all of his dad's money, spending it on, on women and wine and anything else you could possibly think of, and then he finds himself in a pig pen, literally a pig pen, eating the husks that the pigs wouldn't even eat. And he thinks to himself, I have done foolishly. Even the slaves in my daddy's house are treated better than this. And so he makes his way toward home. And along the way, he refer, rehearses in his mind the, the words he's going to use when he comes to his dad. And, and in essence, it's, Dad, I have made a horrible mistake. I have chosen myself over others. I have sinned, and I would be honored if you would allow me just to be a slave in your home. See, he was willing to do anything to get back home. That's the picture of restoration. When a person gets to the place where they are willing to, to, to come at the lowest seat on the table in order to be allowed back into the place where they had turned their back from. Now we know the story of the prodigal son, which actually is mislabeled, because prodigal means to spend with reckless abandon. That story actually should be referred to as the prodigal God, because God himself has spent recklessly. As the son returns, the father, who is the very picture of God in that story, the father looks out and says, my son who has been lost is home. Kill the fatted calf, let's party. Does that make any sense? In our economy, absolutely not. The way we do things and the way we would treat somebody who had sinned against us, absolutely not, but in God's economy, in God's economy, he looks at the one who comes back in repentance and says, I am so thankful you are here. I am so thankful you're willing to repent. I will receive you back into my home. That's restoring. So our ministry, our responsibility, the freedom, because we find our identity in Jesus Christ, we are now free to serve other people in doing the work of restoration in the lives of other people. So, so what kind of people are we to be as we restore others? Well, this is where the, the text gets pretty, pretty specific. He says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So you who live by the Spirit, this isn't talking about spiritual ninjas, the, the varsity level leadership of your church who is like, we, we are the ones who have memorized the book of Habakkuk. We are top level spiritual leaders. It is our responsibility. No, 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 no. He says, you who walk by the Spirit. And if you remember back to last week, that's supposed to be all of us who are in Jesus Christ. So as we walk in the Spirit, we have been called to the ministry of restoration. We're daily finding our identity in Jesus Christ, our power in the Holy Spirit, and our acceptance in God's love. That's who he's talking to. The ones who would yield themselves to the Spirit, and as I talked about last week, be, be intoxicated with the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit on a moment-by-moment, moment, an hour-by-hour, hour, a day-by-day day basis. You who are spiritual are responsible to restore those who have been caught in sin. Not only that, and, I, and I've, I've changed the wording of, of this point for parents, so um, <laughs> that should make you nervous. Um, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So not only are you supposed to be walking by the Spirit before you restore somebody, but you're not supposed to be a punk. You're supposed to be gentle. You're not supposed to be a punk. You're supposed to be humble and self-forgetful. The idea of restoring somebody in a gentle way is reaching out a hand to them and saying, man, let's get out of here. That looks completely different than trying to investigate and find sin in somebody's life. Let's be honest. 
That ain't hard. Seriously. All you got to do is follow somebody in traffic for a little while. You're going to find sin in their life. That's all there is to it. All you need to do is, is go to their home for a couple meals. You'll begin to see those things kind of popping out. It's there. It's in all of us. So this isn't calling us to be investigating into everybody's life to find those moments of, 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 of sinful indiscretion, for lack of a better term. Because they're there, we know they're there. First Peter 4, if you take that within this context, what First Peter 4 is saying, man, the end days are coming, things are getting heated, it's getting difficult, and Peter's challenge to the churches he was talking to was this, I want you to love better than anybody else loves. I want you to, to be really loving each other well because love covers a multitude of sins. What he's saying is, is when you love each other, you're going to be able to look at your brother or sister who pops off at you and be able to look at them and go, it's a bad day. I get it. We'll, we'll, we'll check in tomorrow make sure everything's okay. And doesn't have your brother or sister pop off at you and you're like, brother, I'm going to hit you in the head with my Bible. Be restored. It's not how it works. That's not gentle. Gentle would be to slowly caress them with your Bible. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the problem is in our head we have it all, all wrong. We have it as we're the police. We're not the police. What we have been called to is walk alongside a brother or sister who is struggling and has been showing evidences of slipping back into difficult things as, or is falling for sin or, or showing evidences of, of beginning to yield to the flesh in their life. We're supposed to walk alongside them and like, bro, come here, give me your hand, let's get out of here. Not try to levy charges against them. So we're supposed to be walking in the spirit. We're supposed to be gentle. And we're supposed to be aware of the depths of our own wickedness. So when we are called to restore another Christian because they are falling in sin, if you think, at, by looking at them, that you could never do what they're doing, then you are disqualified from restoring them. That, that's, that's what he says here, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. He, he, it's conceit. He's, he, he's not talking about, so if you're going to confront that brother and you talk to him and all of a sudden, whoops, now you're doing the same thing he's doing. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you can look at that person and you look at them with disdain, you look at them from a lofty position, then it's better that you keep your mouth closed. Because as soon as you begin to restore someone from your high and lofty status, you are now a self-deceived, arrogant punk. Um, I love stories. I love pictures. Uh, my wife and I, so I'll tell you this one. <laughs> my wife and I got married when we were very young. Uh, I had just turned 21. Stephanie had just turned 20. I had not yet graduated from college. The summer we had gotten married, uh, we were actually, this is funny, we were living in my in-law's basement because I am the hopeless romantic. Um, <laughs> so well, well, we, we were there and I was doing an internship that summer at the church and uh, one of the responsibilities and requirements for the internship that summer was to go to a conference and I won't name the conference, I won't name the type of people who were there, I'll just, just tell the story and let you draw your own conclusions. Um, 
And so we were at this conference, and Stephanie and I, we had been married, what, maybe three weeks, two weeks, four weeks, somewhere in there, not long at all. Um, we were there, and uh, we, we um, <laughs> it was after a session, and then they had a brunch, and then they were going to do another session. And there was, there was just pastors crawling all over the place. And um, we were standing in line for the brunch, and uh, Stephanie was on my left side, and I was holding her hand, and we're standing in line, and we're talking, but we were holding hands. And all of a sudden, I had this, <laughs> this little man. Only, I don't have no idea what he r- looks like. I just have this picture in my head. He's like this little scrawny guy, like, hey, come on, buddy. Um, he's trying to lean up to my ear like, hey, hey, better keep an eye on that. And I'm like, there's, I mean, there's people everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> Excuse me? I mean, he wasn't that short, but you know. <laughs> it's better for the story. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, Good. and he starts pointing to us holding hands. Better keep an eye on that. What? And I'm really doing this. I'm like, I'm trying to process it. It's not working. I'm like, what? And then he's like, well, yep. he looks around like he doesn't want anybody else to hear him. And he goes, well, you know what that can lead to? To which I responded, guess what? It already did. <laughs> and so, so the poor dude had to backtrack. He's like, oh yeah, me too, 15 years, praise the Lord. See you, when he's gone. Um, never saw him again. But the problem is, as stupid as that was, and ridiculous as that was, and as arrogant, so do we. Dude, you know, you know what that can lead to. I mean, that is not the spirit of the one who has been called to restore. That is not even the spirit of the one who has been declared free. Because the one who has been declared free cannot get over how much they've been released from. There is no arrogance in the one who has a full understanding of how much God loves them. There can't be. It's mutually exclusive. So in this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, the understanding that he has released us from an eternity in hell, that he has saved our sorry soul from its just deserts by by sending his son and Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, by, by fully understanding that, we can be driven by a compassion and a desire to see another person set free from that same drowning. Um, just a, a side note before I move on. I mean, really, the, the context here is talking about us reaching out to other people to restore a brother or sister who has fallen. But, but, but actually, even within the freedom that we've experienced in Jesus Christ, it allows us the, the, the freedom to receive restoration as well. Because your confidence and your acceptance in God's eyes isn't um, diminished when a, a faithful brother or sister who is, who is following the very marks of this, and I'm gonna be honest with you, sometimes, like the little guy, um, I should probably figure out another way to refer to him. Anyway, sorry, who, who, who tried to keep me in check. Um, a lot of times, it, it's good that we're hearing from people who otherwise we would, you know, just be like, whatever. I have a friend, I have a, and, and I won't name, but I have a friend who is amazing at this. He will get emails after he preaches that just, some of them, some of them are like, oh, you're the most amazing guy ever. But most of them are like, you are a moron. Um, he has sent me some of his emails and it's hilarious 
His people email a lot. Thank you for not emailing. I love you. Um, so, <laughs> but, but he is incredible at the way he responds. It's, I've asked him time and time again, so how do you deal with that? He says, honestly, dude, you, you take the good and the bad, and you, you get rid of the highest, you get rid of the lowest, and you look for the medium, and then you're like, all right, what do I need to learn from this? This is what I need to learn from this? Praise God, I'm going to work to learn from that. God, thank you that in your eyes, I'm perfect. Hmm. We would do well to learn from those people who we'd rather not learn from in grace. And because we're confident in the standing we have before God because of what Jesus did, we can receive those words, even if they are from some undesirables. If my email explodes this week, I'm telling you what, I am going to lose my mind. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Who's come to mind? Don't shout names. Especially if they're in the room. That'll get really weird. But who's come to mind? Let's be, be real about it. I mean, come on. Don't, don't approach this. I mean, part of the problem is we tend to approach this with this high and lofty spiritual view, which is exactly not gentle, and it's exactly not humble, and it's not aware of the depths of our own wickedness, but we tend to be like, I must confront tomorrow. No, man. Who are you sitting here and their name has come to mind. Your heart's heavy. Will you approach them? You tell them you love them? A keeping in step with the Holy Spirit will give you the freedom to be involved in the rescue operation, the restoring operation of others. As we continue in our text this morning, it'll also give us the freedom to bear the burdens of others. Look at verse two. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they're just deceiving themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each one should carry their own load. So verse two, he says, we must carry each other's burdens. What, what is that? What is a burden? A burden really can be anything. I mean, okay, it, it can be trying to raise your children. That should be a burden at times, shouldn't it? Well, else we're just not taking it seriously. It can be unbelievable hurt that we've experienced in our lives that we just can't process. It can be difficult times at work. It can be a broken car. It can be a manure spreader that just spread manure everywhere all of a sudden. It can be... <laughs> The burden really can be anything that is, the picture is a burden weighs you down and you cannot possibly carry it by yourself. So in order to bear one another's burdens, there's a few things that must happen. First of all is you must get really close to the person to help them lift. You can't bear somebody's burdens from across the room. I mean, picture in your head, okay, and I, I told a few people, I, was, I wanted to do a visual this morning and bring one of those little kid pools in here and fill it with water, but I was terrified that we would drown somebody in the process and make a horrible mess. So instead, I'm just trying to paint the picture for you. If you, if you picture a kiddie pool that's just, just filled with water about halfway, those things are not easy to pick up. That gets hefty. 
Well, you can stand back at the doors and, and see somebody up here trying to lift this thing and just start shouting from the back, you can do it! Doesn't help. So in order to bear one another's burdens, you actually have to be close. You have to draw close. Here's the other thing is when you bear one another's burdens, you might get wet. Because as you pick up that pool with your brother or sister, the water's sloshing around, and so what was their burden now becomes yours. Um, <laughs> we did this ministry or service project once, and, and one of the, um, our widows in our church uh, had an old swimming pool, one of those above-ground swimming pools that um, had sat for a while, a long while. And so it was that beautiful, cool Kermit green um, and so we, we were like, she asked if we would take it down. We're like, game on. And so it was a bunch of single dudes and, and single ladies. And so we all got together. It was about 14, 15 of us. We're like, we could do this, no problem. And so we just start beating other thing, and it's coming down. And it, it actually went really well until we decided we wanted to carry the liner away. There's a picture, and I couldn't find it, but there's a picture of us bearing the burden together. Had to be close to each other because it was all saggy and weird in spots. And then we made the uh, stupid choice. Hey, listen, it'd be easier if we all put it up on our shoulder. So we did, and it lasted about four steps, and then because it was so old and fragile, it just cracked, and that all that putrid greenness just covered us. And so then there was no question who was helping to bear the burden about three hours later. Like, oh, you were over at the pool house, I could tell. You might get messy. Here's the other thing that's crazy. You're not always going to have an idea or a clue of what in the world you're doing. There are some burdens you're like, I have no idea how to help. Um, yesterday was great. We had the men's breakfast yesterday. Chris Sturdivant did an amazing job in his, his message yesterday. I mean, it, it, I told him afterwards that I was riled up, man. I was all goosebumped. And I was like, dude, preach that tomorrow. Um, but then he couldn't wear shorts to church, I don't think, and that would have been a problem, so... I'll make fun of him a lot more in second service because he'll be here. I'll just tell him you guys laughed hilariously at that. Okay. Um, so anyway, <laughs> but what he, one of the things he mentioned, it's like, bam, that's it. When we want to bear one another's burdens, we don't always know how to do it. But in Ecclesiastes, it talks about when you lay down by yourself, you're cold, but where two are lying down together, there is warmth. And the way he painted that picture was perfect. That's exactly right. It's, it's I'm there and I'm freezing and you come up and you don't stand over me and go, dude, get up. No, you just lay down next to me. You don't need to say anything. You just show up. So why, why, do we, why, why do we bear one another's burdens? Why is that something that I'm even talking about? Number one, the obvious one, is because verse two is a command. We are commanded by God to use the freedom that we have been given, a freedom that, that removes us from having to earn our standing before God, a freedom that we have been given, and, and we're supposed to use that freedom to, to dedicate ourselves to picking up their burdens. So do it. I'm going to do it because I'm scared of God? No! I'm going to do it for the reasons I said at the very beginning. I'm going to do it because God's commands to me are my delight now. God's commands to me now are like honey, and I get to, oh, it tastes so good because I know what I am doing is pleasing my Father. And so we, so we do it. We, we change it from marching to dancing, and we, we follow the command to bear one another's burdens. And the other reason we do it, not only because it's commanded, but then he says when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. We get to love our neighbor as ourselves exactly as we were commanded to do. 
We, we get to love them well, honor them well, serve them sacrificially. And so the law of Christ really does come down to loving your neighbor as yourself, but you cannot possibly love your neighbor well if you don't love your God the most. So you must love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. You must love God with everything you have more than anyone or anything else. And when you love God most, then you can love your neighbor well. That's what fulfills the law of Christ. But no, there's going to be obstacles when we do this. I mean, he, he lays the, the obstacles out. He starts in verse 3. If anybody thinks there's something when they're not, they're just deceiving themselves. One of the, the main obstacles that's going to pop up when we try to bear the burdens of another person is conceit. And when you have a right view of yourself, it's going to lead you to serve and love your neighbors well. When you remember how unawesome you are, and in case you're wondering, that's not a real word. Microsoft Word keeps putting the red squiggly underneath it. But it's a reality. We must remember how unawesome we are, and that will, will keep you from being too good to get your hands dirty to help a neighbor. I was thinking about this this week, and, I, and I'm becoming more and more convinced of it. You can't possibly walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. It's impossible to do that. I mean, I know it's a phrase and a saying, but you can't possibly walk a mile in somebody's shoes, because you, you can't you can't possibly experience everything that they're experiencing from, from not only a practical level and a reality level, but even from an emotional and spiritual level. You can't feel the same feelings. But you can love them. And you can come alongside them. And you can cheer them on while they walk their miles, picking up any of the pieces you can possibly pick up in the process. There's going to be obstacles to you bearing one another's burdens. One of them is going to be conceit. The other one, and this one is very dangerous, is going to be comparison. Each one should test their own actions. That means every day, each and every day, you must evaluate your own heart, your own motives. And that, my friends, is not a simple task. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, we, we can't, that's the one thing I'm confident of when it comes to myself. I am confident that I cannot be confident in the purity of my motives because my heart is so desperately wicked. But he tells us we must regularly test ourselves, test our own motives, test our own actions, and don't you dare compare yourselves. It says at the end of verse four, without comparing yourself to somebody else. Don't look at somebody else and the way that they're bearing somebody else's burdens. Don't look at somebody else and be like, dude, I, I can't possibly be as good at bearing people's burdens as they are. I can't possibly be as good at serving other people as they are because they're amazing at it, so I'm just going to sit on the sideline and, and drink my iced tea. But the other side of it's just as true. Don't you dare compare yourself to other people and say, I am so much better at bearing people's burdens than so-and-so is. You know what? You might be. You might bear the burdens of other people in this church in a way that nobody else does. But guess what? You have no reason to brag about it. You know why? Because that is your load to carry. See, verse five kind of jumps out at us like, that makes no sense. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Then you get to verse five, each one needs to carry their own load. Wait a minute, I thought you told me to bear somebody else's burdens, but then now they need to carry their own load? See, there's two different words there. 
The burden is this insurmountable rock that cannot possibly be lifted by one person. The load is a soldier's backpack. It's a soldier's backpack. So, so what you are responsible to do then is to strap your backpack on and get to work. I'm so much better at bearing the burdens of people around me than so-and-so. Hey, good. Praise God. That's your backpack. Don't you ever drop that. This church needs you. So carry your load. See, Paul does a little sneaky thing there by throwing that in at the end. He's basically saying, remember I said bear one of those burdens? That's your responsibility, so you better pick that up and run over there and help them pick up theirs. Uniquely your opportunity. That's the other thing about this. You are such a unique person and individual, and and you are in unique spheres of influence that I'm not in, that, that the elders aren't in, that the deacons aren't in, that the staff isn't in, that other people within the church aren't in those same spheres of influence. And so you have an opportunity to serve there like none of us do. I mean, you have an opportunity to walk into your workplace this week and hand them a card and invite them to an Easter service. I may never see that person. You have an opportunity to to hear of the need of somebody who's on your street that we'll never hear of, but you've heard of it. And so now, Ben, then you pick up your backpack, you put on your load, and you get to work because you have been set free to serve other people. Man, that doesn't sound like freedom to me. That, that sounds like more, more restriction. I'm not even sure what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. I don't, this is, this is hard. Hold on, hold on, hold on. When you understand what it is that you've been freed from, To be able to do anything that puts a smile on God's face is freedom. Your identity is being found in Jesus Christ. Being found in Jesus Christ sets you free. Frank, I don't even know. Okay, to be honest, I'm new at Uniontown. I have no idea who I can serve. Who's got burdens that I can help bear? Who who could I possibly come alongside and and ease their burden? You know what? Here, I'm going to do this. And and, and, and honestly, it's not going to be difficult for us. If you really have that question, it's genuinely in your heart, and there's nobody in your immediate sphere of influence that you can think of or that you can serve in that way, then by all means, contact the church office, leave a message, and we'll be happy to get back to you because we are regularly seeing burdens that need to be carried. Now, on the flip side, may I commend you, Uniontown Bible Church, because what I have experienced in my time here is that when those burdens are brought to the body of Christ, the body of Christ embraces them. So thank you for imaging Jesus Christ well in that May we remember that our freedom has been given to us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And when we use our freedom the way it was designed to be used, we fulfill the law of Christ. And God will use those moments to change the world around us. Who did God lay on your heart that you need to run to in brokenness and seek to grab their hand to get them back to shore? Who is it around you that needs somebody to come alongside them and help them carry their burden? May we use our freedom well. Let's pray together. God, I want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are sitting here this morning. I want to pray over them, and and Lord, I want to commit them to you.
There is nothing I could have possibly just said. There's nothing we could sing. There's nothing that can be done in a public way that will ever serve these people the way that you have in sending your son to die for them. God, each one of us need to be committed to being filled with the Spirit day in and day out. So God, I pray for these brothers and sisters who sit in front of me that their eyes would be at the foot of the cross, their hearts would be filled with the Spirit, and they would find their acceptance and the love that you have for them. Give them grace as they reach out with broken hearts to those around them who are struggling. Give them strength to run alongside somebody who might be wrestling with a burden. God, I pray for the one who's sitting here this morning with an unspeakable burden. Lord, would you draw near to them? And again, I pray for the soul of the one here today who's still apart from you. Lord, even as we close in singing, I ask that they would recognize their need of a savior and they would understand that they can fully and confidently stand before you if they put their trust in Jesus Christ. May we all trust him and love him more today. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.